0: Ephesians chapter one um, we'll continue in our, our journey through Ephesians today. What a doozy of a text that we're about to be in, but before we kick it off, I, I want to ask a question: <clears throat> Have you ever been in a relationship um, that you just you always felt like you were hanging by a thread in that relationship? you ever been in that relationship? Maybe it was a a friend or a spouse or a brother or sister or f- Coworker, you just always felt like you never knew when that relationship was going to just pop. You ever been in that type relationship—the um, relationship to where you wondered if the next argument that you had was going to be met with, "Well, I'm just not your friend anymore," or the next wrong move that you made was going to be met with, "Well." I can't be with someone who does that or the next disagreement that you had you just wondered if you were gonna hear well because of this disagreement maybe we're just better off apart y'all know what that type of relationship everybody's been in that type of relationship and the point of that is is when you don't know if you're loved or not it's always the breeding ground for instability. Instability always follows in relationships. Think about that relationship that that you just thought of. It was always unstable. It was always fickle. You were always left wondering, okay, is this going to last? Is this not going to last? You were never at peace, maybe to ping off of where we were last week in the text. However, let's look at the contrary. When you know Beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're loved, when you know that, it doesn't matter what happens. As long as you know that you're loved, it doesn't matter the chaos that abounds, you're still always still grounded. That's what love does. That's a beautiful thing about love. So even when the argument erupts, if you know that you're loved, that argument doesn't bring detriment. You never question, okay, is this about to fracture the relationship? because you know that love exists, and love supersedes that argument. I mean, you guys know what this is like. Um, even when you make the wrong move, it's okay, because you know that love is stronger than your wrong moves when we're in that type relationship. Where we know we're loved, you remain grounded emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. All of those things, it's just true. Maybe an example of this is I was kind of thinking about this. One of the... Many times I've experienced this in my life, and I know you have illustrations as well, was at Lay Lake. This was me and Julie Beth were 17 and 18 years old. This was many, many moons ago. We were at Lay Lake and um, Julie Beth's dad had a fishing ski boat. And it was awesome, awesome fishing ski boat. We used to take it out almost every weekend. We would take different sets of friends and the group of friends that we usually took out to ski with us, they weren't on this trip. And you know, you know how it is when you kind of get in the rhythm of things, and, and so Eric would do this, Jeff would do this. Everybody had their part that they played when we would bring the boat into the dock. Everybody played their role. But since we weren't with this set of friends, completely my fault, I just assumed that other people would know what to do. Well. As the boat turned off and begins to drift into the dock, it was like slow motion. As the boat approaches the dock, hits the trolling motor, the trolling motor begins to bow back, snaps off, lays in the ground, as we cream right into the dock. Now in that moment, I all of a sudden became incredibly fearful. Here's why. There's three things you don't mess with in a man's life. Number one, His wife, number two, his kids, number three, his trolling motor. And I knew that I had broken this trolling motor, and so I am freaking out in this moment. And my father-in-law, now, then just dating guy-in-law, he could have responded with, Troy, you are a moron. To which I would have been like, all right, one is true. We got that down, Pat. He could have responded with, you are not responsible enough to take care of my boat, much less take care of my daughter. He could have responded with frustration and just get out of here and let me fix this. You be gone. He, he could have done all those things. But the odd thing is in that moment, this moment was a moment that I learned he was for me and not against me. In this moment, it was a pivotal moment where I actually learned not... Or me and my father, potential father-in-law, going to be at odds? But he loves me, and here's how it happened. So the thing breaks off, and I'm freaking out. Of course, I mean, I, I mean, I just broke the man's boat, right? And so he comes out there, and I'm not going to paint an illustration as if he was happy. And I knew he was disappointed. Okay, I knew he was upset. I knew he was frustrated. But after that moment, he pulls me aside, and here's what he says. He said, "Troy." It's just a trolling motor. Now here's where you can go buy the parts to fix my boat and bring it back to the house on Monday and we'll fix it together. It's just a trolling motor. From that moment on, I knew that He loved me. And there has been crazy moments throughout the rest of our life, but I've never doubted that He was for me. Because it was secure. I knew that He loved me and He was for me, and so it gets that grounding. doesn't mean we always agree on everything. doesn't mean we always see things the same way. But it does mean that I never doubt His love for me. And that's just how it is in life. When we know that we're loved, love grounds us, doesn't it? But when we don't know if we're loved or not, we're always left shaky. We're always left wondering. Well, with that said... Today, before we jump into the book of Ephesians, we need to be reminded of, is God's love bent for us or is God's love bent against us? If we're going to find some form of grounding. And in our natural state, here's the kicker. God's love is not for us. In our earthly state, His bent, it really is against us. And on the screen is going to pop up uh, this little list here, and you can kind of look at this list. And this bit against us, and, and I hesitate, I pause before saying the word hatred, but the wrath of God is against us in our, our sinfulness, and here's why. And it's justified. As we go through the list, look at it. We are disregarded by Him, because in our sin we're, we're, we're cast away from His presence in our earthly state. Also in our earthly state, we're, we're unholy. We're unholy meaning that we're stained, we're, we're tainted. There's something against us. Once you slide in, you've got those perfect, brand new baseball knickers on. The first time you slide into second base, they're never perfect again. They will always be stained no matter how much OxyClean you put on those bad boys. We're unholy. We're also blameworthy. We're blameworthy because our sin is our choice. It's not God's choice. It's our choice. Therefore, we are blameworthy. In our sinfulness, we're rejected. We're rejected because in our sin, if we're in sin, nobody gets picked to be on God's kickball team if they're in their sin. It's what Revelation said. We just wrapped that book up. You guys remember where God said, nothing unholy will ever enter into my presence. So we're rejected. In our sinfulness, we're fatherless. We're fatherless. We have been orphaned, if you will. We're, we're not a part of any family. We have chosen to be on our own and to leave the family of God. And that's where our sinfulness leaves us, to take our own path. We're, we're cursed in our earthly state. Not only are we rejected, but, but we're cursed, meaning that we receive what we chose If we got an umbrella, and we have one in the foyer here, but if it was raining, it's a beautiful day outside. I hope you enjoy the beautiful day. But if it was raining outside, and you walked out with the umbrella, if you step out from under the security of the umbrella in the rain, what's going to happen? You're going to get wet. Well, that's what happens in our earthly state. We choose the cursing on ourselves. So there is justified instability as God turns His face away from us. We are unregenerate, meaning there's, there's no redeeming quality within us in our earthly state. We're unforgiven. Unforgiven. You know when you forgive somebody and there's almost this beautiful aroma of when you embrace and hug again, right? It's just beautiful, right? Well, in our unforgiven state, we constantly emit stench. Not an aroma, but it's that constant state of unforgivenness in our earthly state we're ignorantly blinded and so when we choose to go on our own path we can't see the things of God so we're blinded and that's justified instability we're distanced from him he doesn't answer our phone calls I I, I put the phone number up there Um, you can text any question at any time during this series and forevermore if something pops in your brain, text it, and I'll get back with you this week, we'll talk about it, all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> but what I'm about to say you might want to text me about. I would argue on, on the uh, authority of Scripture that not only does God not have to answer our prayers in our earthly state, I would argue that a lot of times He chooses not to on purpose. Isaiah, for instance. bankrupt. In our earthly state, we're bankrupt. We have no eternal currency. We have nothing to offer the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, we're susceptible, we're vulnerable, and we're insecure. We may put a smile on our face, but ultimately, in our earthly state, we're hiding in a corner, huddled up, just shaking, wondering, is God's love ever enough for me? And justifiably, if we've rejected Him it's not for us and it's not for you in that state and that's where it leaves us and so what happens if if we live in our our earthly state all of these things are true of us and so if we want salvation and we reject Christ then what we say is well I I better pull myself up by my bootstraps and so we start working really hard and we work hard if we're gonna ever earn some form of glory eternally We feel the weight of all these things, and we go, "Okay, well, I've got to make this right." And in our making it right, we start working harder. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to this. I'm not going to dance. I'm not going to watch that movie. I'm not going to go to this place. I'm not going to hang out with these people. I'm not going to dress like that. I'm not. I'm not going to whatever. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to community group. I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. I'm going to go on missions. I'm going to do all these things. And we start weighing up all these things. I'm going to do all of these things so that at the end of the day, maybe I can find some form of eternal glory. And that leaves us, what? Exhausted. Unstable. Insecure. Wondering. We wonder at the end of the day of all of that, have I done enough to finally earn His providential smile because I know this is what I am? And that's where works leaves us. Wondering, am I or will I ever be lovable? And so now we get to Ephesians and Ephesians screams at us. Yes, that's true. But, but there's something different for the believer. And guys, this is an incredibly encouraging passage of Scripture today. And what you'll see is this. If you're a believer trusting in the work of Christ, God's bent is not against us, but it is towards us. It is being loved type stability, and I couldn't come up with any better phraseology than that right there. The rest of Ephesians 1 is going to scream at us, if you're in Christ, yes, that was your state, but in Christ, this will become your state. And today we're going to just simply let the Scriptures wash over us and we'll see what happens. I think that it will encourage you greatly. So here's the text of Scripture we have today, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says this. And everything that I just listed up there, Ephesians, for the believer, again, for the believer, it's going to show the antithesis of. Watch what happens. Ephesians 1, 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He, watch this, in our earthly status, we were disregarded by Him. But in our heavenly status, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. If you find yourself as a believer in this room, it's not because of... All of a sudden, one day, I just chose to follow Him. It's because He chose to open your eyes to follow Him. And this choosing has, was never meant to be a debate or anything like that. It was never meant to cause us any anguish. This choosing is to cause believers to worship and go, Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm believing, but the only reason I'm believing is because you opened my eyes to believe. That's who you are in Christ as a believer. But it gets better than that. Not only as a believer are you chosen in Him, but you're chosen that you would be not unholy, but holy. He eternally chose you to make you holy in His presence. So if you're a believer, it's not, okay, on this status right now, I feel like I'm unholy. In Christ's economy, you're holy. You step into eternity... And you don't go, okay, I feel like this, I feel like this, I feel like this. You are chosen to be holy, and in His eyes, you are holy. But not only are you holy, you're blameless. There's there's no blame that He brings to you in your earthly status, you're blameworthy. But according to verse 4, you're blameless before Him. In other words, when you enter into eternity and you start saying things like, but God... I drove your boat into the dock and broke the trolling motor off. His response is, I don't know what you're talking about. I hold no past against you. You're blameless. And not only are you blameless, he goes on to say this, verse 5, in our earthly status, we're rejected. But in Christ's economy, He predestined us. In other words, He predestined, He in His foreknowledge, chose you to be fit for an eternal destination with Him. Now, you can do one of two things. You can take this word, and if you have trouble with this word, you're going to have a lot of trouble with Ephesians and Romans and John 17 and Romans chapter 6. You're going to have trouble with a lot of Scripture. You can either wrestle with this, or you can go, Whoa! (laughs) Why would you ever look through the corridor of time and go, Troy is worthy of my love being set upon him? Or you can go, I know who I am in my earthly status. And the fact that you would look through the corridor of time and choose to love me in any way, shape, or form, or fashion is nothing but encouraging love that brings me stability. Because it's not about you, what you've done. It's about him and what he's done. But not only are you not rejected and predestined, but in earthly status, you're fatherless. But according to verse 5, he predestines you as adoption as sons. In other words, you get all the rights and all the inheritance in the same way as an offspring. You get it all. You're made his son. You're made his Daughter, you're brought into the family. And so as I think through this, and I think through this right, in our fatherless status, we're left as orphans. But the fact that He would choose to adopt us in. I mean, imagine that. Imagine you're in an earthly orphanage. And you know you. And God walks in and He's, he's going, Hey, I'm going to bring some people into my family. I don't think any of us would go... Well, I think I could put on a good enough show to where the God of the universe would go, I'll take this person, right? And you don't. (laughs) But what he does is he says, in love, despite you, and in light of my own glory, I adopt you into my family as a son and daughter. That's who you are in Christ. And in our earthly state, we're cursed. But look at verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace for the believer, which, with which He has not cursed us, but blessed us. In Christ you are blessed. Quite literally, showered with kisses. Now again, the father-in-law moment. That would have been incredibly awkward if, if he had run up when the boat crashes into the dock and begins to shower me with kisses. It would have just been awkward, and it would have been weird. But nonetheless, I think in that moment, I might have known some love at another level. That's who you are in Christ. In Christ, you're not the rotten apple. In Christ, where He looks and He goes, it's kind of stinky, but I'm going to shine it up one day. No, 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 no. He looks at you as you are and showers you with kisses. You're of the Beloved. You are blessed of Him. In our earthly status, we're unregenerate. But verse 7 says this, However, in Him we have redemption through His blood. In other words, He takes our wrongs and He substitutes them for His right. Every wrong you've done is met with every right that He did. That's who you are in Christ. You've been made regenerate. What for? For the forgiveness of our sins. He cancels the debt that we owe. And so in our earthly status, we remain unforgiven, but in our heavenly status, he looks at our bank account and goes, man, you've got quite a bit of righteousness sitting there. The fullness of Christ type righteousness. It's white as snow, completely forgiven. In our earthly status, we're ignorantly blind. But look at verse 9. In our heavenly status... Through wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will. Before Christ, you could see nothing. After Christ, all of a sudden, your eyes are opened. And your eyes are opened not because you chose to open them, but because He opened them for you. In your earthly status, we're distanced from Him. But look at verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to come... For the believer, He unites all things in Him. So as a believer, you're united in Him, which means that not only does He break down the wall dividing you from Him, but He also breaks it down and uses those materials to add on to His house to include a room just for you. We've said this several times in the past because it's true of Scripture. A lot of people would say this, Okay, God's going to prepare many mansions. And one day you're going to have a mansion in heaven. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God has gone back to prepare in His mansion, one mansion, many rooms. And those many rooms is this, that not only does He redeem you and and stick you a hut far on the mountains going, I like you enough to get you here, but I don't like you enough for you to be near me because you're kind of stinky. He says, no, 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 I'm going to bring you in, and I'm going to build you a room right by the fireplace with me so that we can dine together. That's His love for you, believer. On our earthly status, not only are we distanced from Him, but we're bankrupt, as we said. But verse 11 says this, for the believer in Him, we've obtained an inheritance. He gives you everything that He owns. Black Widow, the movie, is about to come out. I don't know that I have been ever more excited for a movie to come back out just because I want to go watch a movie in the theater and I can't wait for this movie to come out. Um, Coming to America is also coming out number two. That's a story for another day. Please don't text me about that one, but I'm pretty excited about that one as well. But I'm excited about Black Widow enough that me and Julie Beth have started watching through all the Marvel movies again from get to go. And as I watch through them, I'm always mesmerized by their creativity in all the different universes and the nine realms and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that Marvel is, understands the, the world better than Scripture, but I am saying they at least have a way to paint the extent of the galaxy in a way that a lot of times we forget about. There's a lot of galaxies, a lot of universes, a lot of stars, all this kind of stuff. And I've always wondered, if these things are God's, Will we ever get to enjoy them? I think that's part of the inheritance. I think that in eternity, if we get the inheritance, that we'll truly be able to experience and enjoy everything in the way that He created them to be experienced and enjoyed. So, I think that Philip Yancey might be right in his book on heaven where he talks about, I can't prove this from Scripture, but maybe in eternity you can hop from planet to planet and galaxy to galaxy and whatever. How cool would that be to go light years away to hop from point to point to point to point? Not so that we could go, I've oh, got some cool rings around Saturn or Uranus or Venus or whatever, y'all can correct me, after the service. But so that we'll hop around, see the rings and go, golly, he's even greater than I ever dreamed or imagined. You get all the inheritance. You're not bankrupt. In our earthly status, as we wrap it up, we're susceptible and vulnerable and insecure, but in Christ, verse 13 says this, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, you aren't susceptible and vulnerable and insecure, but you are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, if you're believing, if you're trusting you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The only way I can think about this is Tupperware. Rubbermaid. (laughs) I think of a bowl. And you put that whatever it is on the inside of it, and you take that lid, and you begin to seal it. And if it's a good piece of Tupperware, you really got to get after it to seal that sucker, don't you? You got to use the old elbow method. Get it on, dig down in it to seal that sucker up. And this is the picture, if you are just of earth wondering, am I loved or am I not loved? It always brings insecurity and you can always jump out of the bowl. But if you're in Christ, He's placed you in there and sealed you by the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean that we don't try in our flesh to hop out. Just means that through His promise as the author and perfecter of our faith, that every time we try to jump out through conviction and through discipline, He shoves us back in there and seals us for His own glory unto the day of eternity. That's the promise of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. and That's who you are in Christ. And so, if you're a believer today... It's not that you try to earn yourself or make yourself worthy or whatever, but God's bent towards you is through Christ in grace where we lay back and go, I know this left column is true of me. I struggle to believe this right column is true of me. And if it's true of me, it's only because of Jesus. Only because of Him. And that's the joy. And so therefore, church could be defined simply as this, a group of God-blessed people. You could simply define church as that. Do away with every other definition. The church is God-blessed people. And so Paul's intent isn't to tell us all of these things so we get fat and happy and roll around in the mud like a pig. That's not... so we become apathetic. That's, That's not his point. His point in telling us all of this is so that if you find yourself terrified, unstable, wondering, like an unworthy slave, it's to show you that you're not an unworthy slave, but you're a greatly loved son and daughter. It's to bring you rest. It's to bring stability to your heart. The whole point of this isn't so that we'll realize... Our identity rests in us, but so that we'll realize verse 3 is absolutely true. Let me read it again for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And when we remember that, because the grace comes down from Him, we'll let the glory go back up to Him. That's the point. And so, as we wrap it up today, church, there's nothing more grounded than realizing the extent to which you are loved, primarily by God. I'll end with this. Stephen Curtis Chapman is not arguably, he is the greatest Christian musician of all time. I'm not saying that maybe you love his music better than everybody else. I'm just saying he's definitely the most decorated Christian music artist of all times. I mean, he is the Michael Jackson (laughs) of the Christian world, or Elvis, or whatever you want to say. I mean, this, this is what he is. I mean, 58 Dove Awards, five Grammys, 48 number one hit songs, 11 million albums sold. Okay, this... I mean, he is the pinnacle of Christian music artistry, if you will. His story plays out a great illustration of this passage right here. If you've never heard this story before, um, here's what happened. This was only one state over. This was just a couple of years ago. Stephen Curtis Chapman has several kids. One of his kids actually goes to Alabama right now, oddly enough. Um... But Stephen Curtis Chapman had a daughter. Uh, the daughter's name was Maria, a uh, little girl. He also had a, a son named Will. Will was 17 years old when this occurred. Will came home. He had been out, and he, he drove back home. And as he comes down the street, Stephen Curtis tells the story about seeing his son come from the street. And he wasn't texting. He wasn't speeding, anything like that. He just He came in. He pulled into the driveway. They waved. He was going to drive around the back of the house. Well, Maria and her brothers and sisters or friends were out there in the playground on the back side of the house. And as they're out there on the back side of the house, she sees Will driving up, and she was so excited that Will was coming home because she knew that Will would come out there and lift her up and let her play on the monkey bars. And so she comes running to see Will. Well, the tragic part of the story is, as Will is going around the house, he doesn't see his sister, and he runs over her and kills her. Right there in the yard, everybody there, parents, daughters, uh, sons, um, everybody is in this moment. And and so Stephen Curtis retells the story and saying, I was just trying to cover up my wife's eyes so that she wouldn't have to see her own daughter's blood on the ground. Tragic moment. Will is freaking out, as you can imagine. He begins to run through the yard like a crazy person, his brother tells. And his older brother runs and tackles him and just holds him and pins him to the ground. Chaos is ensued. Instability everywhere... And for will has to be the thought of, will my parents ever love me again? Will my brothers and sisters ever love me again? Will God ever love me again? How can I ever get away from this moment? And the chaos just ramps up and ramps up. Stephen Curtis throws his wife in the car. They jump in the car. The ambulance comes. They take Maria's body and and begin to drive away with her. And and Stephen Curtis at this moment begins to... uh, uh, Think, oh my gosh, what is going on? He looks up in his yard and then Will takes over and begins to tell the story. And Will says this. This moment was pivotal in my life because it was the moment at which my father stopped in the middle of the road. And all I could wonder is will I ever be able to look my father in his eyes again? And I see my dad stopped and he rolls his window down and screams at me. Will Franklin, your father, loves you. And that's what Ephesians 1 screams to you if you're a believer. We know we've broken the trolling motor. We know that we've cursed we know that we've abused we know that we've done insurmountable wrongs we know that the blood is on our hands we know it and ephesians 1 screams to you as a believer if you ever want to find grounding find it here your father through christ loves you